Amen. I love hearing kids pray. Because they haven't learned to fake it with God yet. Like they're just honest. My kids are just real with people. You kind of see this because if they think you're ugly, they'll just say it to your face. Right? Like, they're brutal. They're brutal. But they're just naturally real. But something changes, right? Where we kind of learn to fake it when everything isn't okay, we kind of put on the face like, no, everything is okay. Or uh, we learn to fake it with, with God. Like you say everything's good or you pray real nice things out loud. But you and God both know that your heart is stone cold and you haven't talked to him in days. And this drift into fakeness, especially in prayer, is so easy. And then that's why when we come across someone who has that childlike faith and realness with God as an adult, it's kind of like shocking. And we usually have two responses. The first might be you're drawn to them because you want that. And the other response might be you kind of withdraw and pull back from them because you're convicted. You know you don't have that. In our passage this morning, we see someone with that realness with God. There's no faking it in her relationship with God. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And because we're going to be jumping around uh, throughout the passage and into the next chapter, it will not be up there on the screen. So what I would encourage you to do is pull out your Bible, look at the person's Bible next to you, pull out your device, pull up your browser, whatever it is. I'm pretty confident you probably don't use Bing, because who does? Uh, But pull up your browser and just type in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Have it in front of you. And real quick, I, I would like to encourage you, bring the scriptures with you every Sunday. Because there there's nothing like having your nose in the book and you looking at it for yourself. So, for anything, I'm going to read and then we will pray. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 4 through 18. Whenever Elkanai offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Peniah, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her, Because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband would ask. Why won't you eat? 
Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. Let us go to God in prayer. Lord, there is no one like you who wounds us and heals us. Lord, I pray right now. Do what only your Spirit can do and change our hearts. Be our greatest treasure, our greatest love. You say in your word that your word is alive and active even after all these thousands of years. Make that true today in each of our hearts. Convict, encourage, be our greatest treasure. Help me, God, as I am weak and unable to change anyone's heart. Use me. Use your word. Help us, Lord. There is no one like you. In your name, amen. So whenever we go to Scripture, we always have to come asking, why is this here in the Bible? Otherwise, we can pull crazy verses totally out of context and why God put them there in the first place and walk away with crazy ideas, like that we need to go build a temple or something. So, 
We always have to ask, especially in the Old Testament, especially in story, true accounts like this, we always have to ask, why is this here? Well, first, it's important to know what's going on in the, the story of God's people Israel. The book of 1 Samuel is kind of like the beginning of a new era for God's people. They're about to get a king for the first time. And, and it's just going to go from there. So this is the beginning of a new era. God is doing something new. And here we see God answer this woman's prayer. And little did she know would God answer her prayer, heal her, help her. But he was also helping and healing the land of Israel. Because the son that God gave Hannah would grow up to be Samuel the prophet, the man of God who led God's people spiritually until the day of his death. So why is this here? God is telling us of a new era for God's people. That is the direct context of what's going on. But as you dig into the text, like every single word here is here for a reason. And as you dig into the text, you kind of pull out what is God saying? What applies to us today? You see two big things. The Lord provides and God is pleased with those who pour out their hearts to him. So as you kind of look, why, why is this here? And you pull out from the text what's true back then that's true today. The Lord provides and the Lord is pleased with those who pour their hearts out to him. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're not specifically going to look at what was causing her anguish and grief, but what she did with it and what God did with her anguish and her grief. And real quick, I just want to say something. She is a faithful woman who loves God and prays. An example for people for thousands of years. And I just want to encourage you women here that know Jesus and love him. Your example does not go unnoticed. Your prayers, your faithfulness, your obedience, it is an example for all of us. So don't stop. I I think of, uh, I wouldn't be here Today, I mean, physically, I literally wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my mom, who is a spiritual hero of mine. But I would not be standing here if it was not for the faithful woman, women God put in my life to be an example to pray for me. I think of uh, Miss Bassford. Um, growing up, I was this shy, weird homeschooler. Um, and now I'm just a weird college student. Uh, <laughs> But she was, like, I was, like, shy and very reserved. And she was, like, uh, she went to uh, Liberia on mission trips all the time. And she would go, like, booyah, like, all the time. And as, like, a shy homeschool kid, I was, like, all right, this lady is off her rocker. But as I grew up and grew to love Jesus more, I realized she's got serious joy in Jesus. She prays like no one else. Even after losing her husband tragically, her joy is so strong. I think of her, and I I think of my mom, who right now is uh, going through Parkinson's, knowing that her life is going to end sooner than she thought, facing sleepless nights, and she loves Jesus more now than she ever did. Like women who are faithful, who love Jesus here, keep going. 
You never know who is watching your example and following you. And for all of us here who know Jesus and love Jesus here, you probably can pick out women that God has placed in your life. Man, that you say, I want to be like that. So I thank God for faithful women like Hannah. Now, look at Hannah. This faithful woman. She has deep sorrow. Look at all the times in just these 18, 17 verses. Like, look at how many times it mentions how she's feeling the deep sorrow that she's facing. She would eat, weep, and not eat. She was crying. She was troubled. She was deeply hurt. She wept with many tears. She has a broken heart. She's been pouring out her heart. She's been praying from the depth of her anguish and resentment. I mean, she is a deeply wounded and hurting woman. I mean, it is just everywhere, scattered all throughout these short few verses. And have you ever felt what she's describing here? Hurt? Resentment? Maybe towards someone? Or maybe even towards God? Anguish? Frustration? Confusion? Have you ever felt what she's describing here? And how do you usually respond when you feel that? Now, the first section, verses 4 through 8. This is the first section, kind of the weight on Hannah's heart. There's something troubling here in these verses. Do you see it? Did anything jump out to you while we were reading? It's repeated twice. The Lord had kept her from conceiving. It doesn't just say it once, it says it twice. The Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Isn't that kind of troubling to think about? God kept this woman from having her her dreams fulfilled and having a child? God kept her from this? The Lord's involvement in sorrow and joy once wrestled through, like once you wrestle through it, is one of the most beautiful things you see in all of Scripture. We see here the Lord's involvement in this first part of the chapter, the Lord's involvement in sorrow. It doesn't just say the Lord allowed her or let this happen. It says the Lord kept her her. How can God do this? When you look in every page of Scripture, something keeps jumping out, and that is God is in control. No one like Him. He is over all. Every sweet and heartbreaking thing that happens, happens under the watchful eye and gracious hand of God. Every sweet and heartbreaking thing that happens happens under the watchful eye and gracious hand of the one true God. We like the first part. We like the sweet. Great. But every heartbreaking thing happens under the watchful eye of God 
and under his gracious hand. It comes from him. God does it. Man, as as we wrestle through that and think that that's weighty, right? That weighs on us. Lots of questions come to mind. Like, no, God is not the author of sin. He does not sin. He is not evil. But scripture makes this clear everywhere. It comes from God. Every sweet and heartbreaking thing. Think of Job 1. He loses everything. And the Lord says, or Job says, like he gets on his knees. He is weeping and rejoicing. And he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Genesis chapter 45. I was reading this week and I was struck by this. So the story of Joseph, right? He's beat up for no reason uh, from his jealous brothers, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, is working, is righteous, successful, gets accused of something he didn't do, thrown in prison for years, and then finally finds success in the Pharaoh's home. I mean, talk about a roller coaster of a life. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt. And it is dramatic. Like, read the last couple chapters of Genesis. It is wonderful and dramatic and beautiful. But this is what Joseph said to his brothers who beat him up, threw him in a pit, sold him to slaves. Listen to what he said. Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. The famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. That's striking. Now, it's clear, God did not beat up Joseph. God did not sell Joseph into slavery. God did not accuse him of doing something wrong. God did not throw him into jail. That was sinful people. But he is saying, God did this. It happened under God's watchful eye and gracious hand. That was striking to me. And what is so cool is he didn't see why God was doing it in the middle of it, but now he sees God did this. So I could be here so God could provide for my family and for our people so that one day God can send the Messiah. Now, Joseph didn't totally understand that, but looking back now, we see that's why God did that. Look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah realizes everything happens under the watchful eye and gracious hand of God. In chapter 2, Starting in verse 6, she says, The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol. He raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. Even Hannah understood this hard truth. Every good and every bad thing, hard thing, comes under the watchful eye and gracious hand of God. He does not sin. He is not evil. But it all comes from Him. And you see this over and over and over again in Scripture. And once we wrestle through this, see what Scripture has to say about this, I believe it is one of the most glorious things we see in Scripture because it means there's no chaos. 
There's no accident. There's no coincidences. God takes what Satan means for evil and turns it for good. It means that God wastes nothing. For the believer, God wastes no death, no tear, no cancer diagnosis. God wastes nothing because it all comes from him. Why would God do this though? We've already seen little glimpses of it, but why? Like look, just think specifically. In this context of 1 Samuel. Well, obviously he showed Hannah and her family that he provided. I mean, that alone, oh my goodness. Now, some of this is, is a little bit of conjecture, but think about the faith of the family. It doesn't specifically say this in, in the text, but think of the faith of the family. How much more would they treasure God after they see him answering them, pouring out their hearts? Think of Samuel. His role of speaking for God to a rebellious nation was not easy. Have you ever known what was best for a person? Like poured your heart out to them, warned them, encouraged them, and they didn't do it? You know how that weighs on you? Imagine telling a whole nation, this is what's best for you, I'm warning you, and they don't do it. Samuel's role was hard. Think about what he could do in those moments where maybe he was doubting. He could look back and say, Now, God provided through a miracle. I'm not an accident. The Lord called me to this on purpose. Think of just generally. Why why does God do sweet and heartbreaking things? Why does he do this? Why does he send it? Well, if Christ is the greatest treasure, the best thing for us is to know him and enjoy him, then we should embrace whatever gives us more of him. And he is loving to do what gives us and others more of him. Or that, whether that's giving or taking life. Whether that is cancer. Whether that is job loss. He is loving to do whatever will bring us to our knees and give us a greater knowledge and love of him. This is why God does it. And we see that everywhere in Scripture once you start looking for it. There's no chaos. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of chaos. I mean, we live in a broken, sinful world and things are going nuts out there. But everything is happening under the watchful eye and gracious hand of God. Everything. This is why the old hymn says, let sorrow and suffering do its work. Sorrow and suffering gives us, if you know Jesus, it gives you more love for him. Suffering kind of cuts through the fakeness. It kind of picks us up by the scruff of our neck like a a mother to its little puppy. Picks us up by the scruff of our neck and says, listen, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is what life is like. This is what's to come. It shows us what's real. And we kind of get into this pattern of fakeness, faking it with God, faking it with others. One of the things that sorrow and suffering does is it pierces right through the fakeness, picks us up by the scruff of our neck and says, am I going to be your greatest treasure? And we can say, like, not like the fatalist who says, everything happens for a reason. Because even people that don't know Jesus, 
spiritual people will say everything happens for a reason. I, I know that. No, we can say, not like them, every sweet and heartbreaking thing happens because God loves me. It's a fierce love. <laughs> like we sang. A love that's not like this, you know, puppy love that's kind of like a pushover and it'll do whatever you want. It's a fierce love. A good love. The best kind of love. So we see God's direct involvement in sorrow but also in joy because in chapter 2 the entire thing is Hannah joyfully praying to God and I believe this with all my heart that no matter how God answers our crying out to him we can say with David I believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living I believe it with everything I got. That goodness might be a supernatural peace. It might be someone coming to know Christ. I believe with all my heart you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living if you believe in Jesus. In some way, at some time. And it's interesting and I understand why but we don't question God's direct involvement in the sweet things. And I understand why. But he's directly involved in the sorrow. And we see just in these two chapters, life's a roller coaster. Like she's weeping, not eating, crying out. In the next chapter, she's praising God, understandably. But this is life filled with ups and downs, sorrows and joys. Understanding God's direct involvement in sorrow and suffering is necessary to understand this passage, the whole Bible, your life, and the lives of the people you love and you look and you just don't understand. Maybe you don't understand, God, why are you blessing them that way when that's what I want? Everything happens under His gracious hand and watchful eye, even when they get the joys that you want. His direct involvement in your sorrows and joys. You've got to know this to be able to get through life. In deep sorrow, when someone else gets the joy that you want. Now, that is verses 4 through 8. And in verses 9 through 18, we see the pouring out of Hannah's heart. And there's something glorious in these nine verses. There's something absolutely glorious. Do you see it? In verse 12, among a few other places, it says, while she continued praying in the Lord's presence. If that doesn't knock you off your feet, it should. Hannah, not some ruler or queen or princess. Hannah, faithful woman is praying in the Lord's presence. The Creator's presence. She's going before Him and bringing her needs. And it gets better. For those of us that know all of Scripture, we know it gets better. I mean, we've been talking about this the whole time in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 4, 
4. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We get what Hannah didn't get at that point. We understand what she didn't understand at that point. The God she was praying to came here, added humanity to his deity, suffered on the cross. And as we're talking about pouring our hearts out, do you know, as Jesus was pouring out the blood to save us, do you know what one of the last things he said? He poured out his heart to God and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That is what Jesus did for us on the cross like, we can go to God in His presence before His throne as we pray. So as we pour out our hearts, we got to do it humbly. Like, no one should be kicking down the door of heaven like, alright God, I got this list of stuff. What's, what's up? It's you and me. You owe me. No one can do that. But it is, a, it is a humble confidence, like on our knees. Like, I'm entitled to nothing but hell, but you have saved me, and I know you are the creator of the universe who can work miracles. It is a humble but bold confidence. Why? Not because of you. It's because you are praying to Jesus, the Son of God, who was tempted by Satan himself, but said no. Amen. You're praying to Jesus who suffered and understands. You're praying to Jesus whose blood was poured out as he took on your punishment, a loving God. You're praying to Jesus who rose as victorious over sin and death, who met our greatest need on the cross. Friend, when you pray and you pour your heart out, you're not just speaking to the air. You're talking to the creator of the universe who poured out his blood to save you from your sin. You're talking to the God who does everything because he loves you. To the God who said no to sin while he stared Satan in the face. Oh, look at how she prayed. And I find it so striking that she even prayed to begin with. You know this. How easy is it when your heart is heavy with sorrow to want to kind of withdraw, step back? Because you don't really know how you're feeling or you don't want to feel deeply what you're really feeling. the temptation for us, right? But Hannah goes before God. Why does she go before God? Why does anyone? Psalm 145, 17 to 19. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. By the way, that means when he brings sorrow to you or someone you love, where he brings the joy that you want to someone else, he's righteous and faithful in everything he does. Listen to this. The Lord is near all who call out to him, all who call out to him with integrity. 
He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love Him. He is a tender shepherd who hears you. You're not crying out to some cold, distant God. Some of you might have a cold and distant spouse or a cold and distant mother or father where you could pour the deepest parts of your heart out to them. Nothing. But you pour your heart out to the God who loves you. He hears you. He cares for you. He is a tender shepherd. It's easy to feel like you're all alone, right? I'm sure Hannah felt all alone, especially since her husband asked, why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Like, bro, isn't it obvious why she's upset? I don't know, every guy probably here has done that, right? Where they say something like, what's wrong? Idiot, it's pretty clear, right? But I guess it's easy for us reading this. Who knows? I'm sure he was confused. His heart's in the right place, right? That's what matters. Right? But it's easy to feel all alone. I'm betting Hannah did. Her own husband didn't really seem to understand it. His other wife, which, by the way, not everything in the Bible is prescriptive. This is not saying you should have multiple spouses. But he had multiple spouses. And this other spouse was taunting and making fun of her. Like, she was all alone. She felt that way. But that day when she went up to the temple and poured out her heart to God, she realized she wasn't. Because the Lord hears those who call out to Him. In joy or in sorrow. I think of a little child going to their parent to ask for something. Or maybe even a baby crying for food. They do it because they're needy. They can't do anything about their need. Or I think about the little child who's, who's just scared and runs to their parent. That's us. We have, we're so needy. We run to the only one that can actually help us. Like you might think you've got it all under control, but you don't. You having it unstable, the carpet will be pulled out from under you. Hopefully, the carpet will be pulled out now before it's too late. But it will definitely happen later when you stand before Jesus. Like this is why we go to God. This is why she went to God, why anyone goes to God. We are like a child, so needy. And the only one that can help us is the God who came here to die, to save us, to make us like him, and to bring us home. And look at how she goes. She goes humbly and honestly. She says, Lord of armies. She's realizing, hey, you're in control. Like She's not busting down the door saying, God, you got to do this. She's saying, Lord of armies. Like, help me hear my cry. That's hard to do. I can't count how many times I have sat in my room feeling like the darkness was hiding God's face and it felt like he wasn't hearing me, that the prayers I was praying just felt cold. I sat in my room and I felt how hard it is to pour your heart out to God and be honest with him. It's hard. 
I have sat in my room and not wanted to be honest with God. Because it's hard. I've sat in my room and the only thing I can pray sometimes is, God, you've got to help me. I don't even know how to talk to you right now. Sometimes that's the best place to start. Being honest with God and saying, I don't even know how to talk to you right now. I don't even know how I'm feeling. I don't even know what to do with how I'm feeling. And by the way, we see here that she says, God, Lord of armies, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. And she was righteous to do so. And we see that because God answered her prayers. So she did not do what I'm about to say. But we have to be careful that we don't try bargaining our way with God. Right? Like, God, if you do this, I'll do this. We've got to be real careful. Real careful in doing that. Because that is us putting our thoughts, our ways above God's thoughts and His ways. And you don't want what you think is best because you don't know what's best. I look back at my life and over and over and over again, I go, holy moly, God really saved me from that one. <laughs> like, all the time. And I'm not all that old, but I look back and I'm like, whoa, I thought that was best, but that was not. The Lord really saved me there. You know, like, woo. We don't know what's best. God does. So we have to be careful with this bargaining. Right? Like, God, if you do this, I'll do this. That's not how it works. God's way is best. And look at how God answered the prayer. We see it in in verses 19 and on. He gives her a son. He worked a miracle. And before we talk about God working miracles, I first just want to talk, listen, that doesn't always happen. It does happen, but it doesn't always happen. In Acts 16, 6 to 9, Paul wants to go into a certain area to go preach the gospel. Right? He's praying about it. He wants to go. God says no and sends him somewhere else. He wanted a good thing, a righteous thing. But God said, nope, you're going to go over here. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh. And there's different thoughts on what it was, but it was some kind of like a physical ailment different thoughts, but it was this thing that was weighing on him. It was tormenting him. In in verse 7 it says, and it says concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh my goodness. Those are beautiful verses. He wanted a good thing. Like, hey, I don't want this to keep tormenting me. And God said, no. I'm going to give you the grace to keep going. But that weakness is for your good. That hardship, that difficulty, it's for your good. And I believe Paul had that thorn in the flesh until the day he died. And there might be times where you pray for something good, like, hey God, like, can you stop this? Can you change this? Can you work a miracle? And God doesn't. Why? Well, one of the reasons is he loves you, but because his grace is enough to get you through. 
I was thinking about this recently. Elijah and the prophets. Right? So Elijah wants to see Israel turn to God. And you have the altars and the fire comes down. Right? We all heard about that as kids. Great, great account of what God did. But the people didn't turn back from God. And Elijah was depressed. Why? Because he wanted to see Israel repent. He had been praying for that. He had been working for that. But Israel did not turn back to God even after an amazing miracle. Like if I called down fire from heaven, some people here might turn to Jesus. I don't know. But they didn't. He was depressed. He wanted to die. And a couple of months ago, man, some of the teens in youth group are just going through difficult things. And I'm praying for the teenagers all the time. And like they were, I, I was looking at the request and I was feeling like, God, if you just miraculously answer these prayers, I feel like they're going to turn to you. They're going to turn back to you. They're going to come to know you as their Savior. Their families are going to come to know you as your Savior. I was feeling like darkness was hiding God's face. Like, God, why aren't you working the miracle here? And I turned to that sweet passage where Elijah was praying that Israel would turn back. God worked a miracle and they didn't. And it hit me. Maybe God not providing the miracle is what brings people back to God. Who knows how he works? Like whether he works the miracle or doesn't work the miracle, God knows what he's doing. But we see here and in the rest of scripture, oh, God does still work miracles and he can do the unthinkable. We see that in scripture... We see that in each other's lives, like, God got rid of your cancer? God provided that home for you? God provided for you financially? God got you out of that rough, abusive situation? God provided a spouse? Like, you could just say, God provided the grace to be single and content? Like, we see everywhere that God working miracles and doing the impossible all the time. And as we think about miracles... I think of like a little child. They believe their parent can do anything. Something changes as they realize my parent is flawed. Some more than others. But our father is not flawed. We've got to have that childlike faith where we believe our father can do anything. We don't set all our hope in God doing that miracle. We set all our hope in the God who sends sorrow and joy on purpose. That's our hope in. That's what's our hope. That is what our hope is in. I mean, we, we gotta be like a child, like Hannah was, and go to God and ask God to do big things for Him. Like, Lord, do this amazing thing. I like the desire of my heart. I want to see how big you are. Like, Lord, like, do this. I believe God does miracles. I put my whole life on the line for that because to make it to heaven, that's a miracle. For you to be saved and wake up in the morning still saved, that's a miracle. Oh yeah, I believe in miracles. But I believe in a God who is good in the sorrow and the joy when he does the miracle and doesn't do the miracle. I love these two chapters. My prayer is that you do because there are so many nuggets of joy to pull from.
But it is so clear here. The Lord provides and the Lord is pleased with those who pour their hearts out to Him. Christian, do you pour your heart out to God? Or do you rarely ever talk to Him? Or when you do talk to Him, maybe it's just a list of things. Your heart is cold. Hard as a stone. Do you pour your heart out to God? Because He's pleased with those who do. If you're here and you say, man, I know Jesus. I think the best way to start is asking, God, help me to do that. I don't know how to do that. God, that's hard. God, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. Like, just be brutally honest with God. God, it feels like you're far away. Pray. Pour your hearts out to the only God who can save you and help you in your need. So you talk about this, I think, of... The beautiful hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry Everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptation? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer and keep taking it to Him. Even when doesn't feel like he's there when you want to give up your heart feels cold there's no emotions keep carrying the sorrows and the joy to him in prayer I figured it would be a shame to end our time together and not do that so what I wanted to do is if you're here and you you believe in Jesus I want to give you a couple minutes to do just this right now. And it might be merely just asking, God, help me. Or it might be just taking what you're feeling and bringing it to God. I want to give you a couple minutes to do that. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, He is mighty to save and He can save you right now. He died to save you. Trust in Him. If you did that today or if you have questions, come see me. But even you can pour your heart out to God right now. You can pray, God, Help my unbelief. Show me my sin and how you died to save me. Right now, I just want to give you a couple minutes to quietly pour your hearts out to God and then I will close in prayer.
before I close in prayer, um, what's going to happen is I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to come up. Offering's going to come from the back forward. If you're new here, there's no obligation to give. Um, and if you're wrestling with anything that was said today, especially about God's involvement and sorrow and joy, I have good, helpful, understandable resources to help you with that. Let us pray. Lord, there is no one like you. I pray, Lord, that you will please work in anyone here that does not know you as their Savior. Work in their unbelief. Call them to yourself. Give them the faith they need to be saved. Give them the humility to reach out to someone. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray we will be a people who pour out our hearts to you in sorrow and joy on Sunday morning, on Wednesday afternoon. Be pleased with us, God. Let us be a church that pours out our hearts together. Thank you that you hear us and you know us and you know what's weighing on our heart even when we don't know. You are so good. Thank you that we can go before your throne and receive the grace and the mercy we need. Oh God, there is no one like you. Be our greatest treasure. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. Amen.